Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something epic. This is Paratruth Radio. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a, another brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And tonight is an exciting night because Eric and I are in studio together. And uh, on top of that, we have a very special guest tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking to Stephen Spears. Uh, Stephen has always walked an Od- Odinic path even before he had scholastic point of reference regarding his folk ways. He says, seeking to understand the nature of existence is pointless without sharing what it is experienced. Belief is the enemy of knowledge. Without further ado, let's go to the line with Stephen Spears. Steve, welcome to Paratruth Radio. How's it going tonight? Oh, it's going fantastic. It's great. Great to be on with you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So tonight I'm bringing you on because I first got introduced to you at a spiritual conference um, and you introduced me to runes. So I wanted to give you a chance to tell everybody what kind of got you started on the path of of, uh, runes. And um, I, I believe it was where the Odinic path. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I'm sorry you're kind of cutting out a little bit. So if I miss some of that, I apologize. Um, so you know what got me started with the runes and the Odinic path I'm on. You know, I've I've always been curious. You know, like you know, a running joke is when I was a kid. You know, I annoyed my teachers because I wanted to know why we called an apple an apple. Who decided that that was the name for that thing? And so that's always been kind of my motivation throughout life. And, you know, these esoteric symbols, you know, that comprise the runes, they're they're actually in use in society a lot. And people don't recognize them for what they are. Um, For example, the Algis rune, the rune of defense and protection. It looks like the letter Y with um, the center bar extending up parallel through the forks. And if you invert that, you have the peace symbol. And, you know, and that's why the peace symbol represents docility and submissiveness, because it's an esoteric symbol, but people aren't recognizing how it's been employed. But, you know, that's just one one of many, many examples. But, you know, like I said, I've always seen these things around me and I've always been curious and I've always sought this, you know, sought out answers and explanations and reasons why. And when I had, you know, compiled a, a, a bunch of notes and I shared them with a friend of mine. He was like, wow, this sounds a lot like Ostatru. 
And I'm like, well, what's Ossetru? You know, and so I had to start researching that. And that's when I found out that that's the, na- the contemporary name for the Proto-Germanic folkways of indigenous Europeans and their descendants. And I started seeing a lot of parallels in all these ancient esoteric writings and a lot of the contemporary research I was doing at the time. And I was like, wow, there must be something to this. And then I came into contact with the runes, you know, as I started learning more and more about, you know, Norse heathenry. And um, I discovered, you know, them as a divination tool. And it just, it kind of unlocked some ancestral memory for me. It was like, like a, a, a light went on in a room that I'd always just walked by and never really even looked into. And so I never, I didn't even learn about the runes so much as I remembered them. And that was what was really, really powerful for me about it. And I started delving more and more into applying them as a divination tool. And I had people tell me, well, wow, you think you know so much. Why don't you go write a book about it? And so that's kind of, you know, how you and I ended up meeting. <laughs> right. Well, what was, so when it comes to writing the book, like what was it, was there more to it other than someone just saying you should go write a book or or was there like a point where you said, you know what, more people need to know about this and I want to share the story of the rune and what it can do for people. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and that was my primary motivation, you know, was my, my desire to share this information that was of value to me. And, you know, and most of the people that were telling me to go out and write a book, they were saying it more sarcastically than anything, just like, you know, basically telling me to like, shut up and quit pestering them at lunch. <laughs> but, <laughs> on them you now. <laughs> know, like I said, it's, it's, they're a powerful divination tool. You know, if you want to try to take more control of your life, you know, and a lot of people, while they say that that's what they want to do, they don't actually actively want to have more control because of the incumbent responsibility. And like for me, I use the runes um, as a divination tool, kind of like um, a good analogy would be a check engine light on your car. You know, every morning I wake up and I do a rune pull and I see what I need to focus on that day, you know, because all of the all of the forces that comprise the food arc are present in your life at any and every given time. But just like the tides, you know, there's a rise and a fall. Certain things take more precedence on a given day. And so, you know, I need to, you know, kind of figure out what what the tone needs to be for that day. Do I need to, you know, have a more, um, more reserved stance? Do I need to, you know, be mindful about my steps? Cause I'm on thin ice that day. Do I need to roll the dice and take a chance? You know, do I need to inspire others? Do I need to, you know, make a hard choice this day? You know, I mean, there's, like I said, and all of that stuff is relevant at, at any given time, but, you know, like I said, just like the, just like the readout on your automobile, you know, it's like you kind of want to check on check on everything and see if everything is good. And that's how I use the runes. And that's what I try to em- empower other people to use the runes as primarily. Now, you can use them as like point blank, you know, as a straightforward, you know, kind more like tarot card readings where you have, you know, a question that you're trying to answer some something really, really specific. They absolutely can and should be used in that manner. But for people who want to use it more in a casual everyday sense, that to me is the best way to employ them, you know, is at the start of your day. Okay. Okay. So I, I know the difference, but for those out there that don't know the difference, what's the difference between a rune and a sigil? 
Okay, so a sigil or a sigil is more of a flowing symbol. You know, you kind of think like the difference between print and cursive, number one, you know, okay. in, this, in the way that they, they look at the end of, of everything, you know, sigils or sigils, you know, that is a tomato, tomato thing. My Arkansas is showing in the way I pronounce <laughs> words, but, um, you know, the, they're, they're more flowing, whereas like the runes, number one, are, um, are more, you know, they're just straight lines, you know, they're very angular, kind of like block letters. And a lot of them are recognizable for their phonetic values in block letters, like Burkana is the rune that corresponds phonetically with the letter B, and it looks just like a capital letter B, same with Hagalaz being H and Tiwaz being T. But, you know, aside from um, that, um, that visual distinction between the two, um, sigils are primarily more of, um, of a Kabbalistic esoteric expressionary tool, whereas okay. the runes are, um, they are a um, Northern European tradition. And yeah. so okay. that's, that's, you know, the, I guess the major um, cultural difference. Now they're, they're both, they both are used to the same, with the same intent to a large degree, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, using like, you know, um, carving runes into talisman items like, um, like nid poles and whatnot like that, you know, and um, for those who aren't familiar with this, um, in Icelandic and Norse customs, say um, you've got a problem with your neighbor or you know, you want to put somebody on blast or something, you you take this long pole and you carve using the runes describing, you know, what your what your issue is with them. And then you take the head of a horse or, you know, alternately you could take and, you know, carve out, you know, or make some kind of representation of a horse's head. But you place this knitting pole in the direction of this person's um, house or homestead, basically kind of as you know, a social media post where you're putting somebody on blast back in the day. And that was how the runes would be used more in the sense of a sigil in like a curse type of manner or, okay. you know, and now there are other things, you know, like later on in the Norse tradition, um, we have um, the use of staves. But again, you know, that's because you started to have a synthesis of Judeo-Christianity come into the culture and so you've got this overlap of the Norse tradition and then the Kabbalic mysticism that came with the Abrahamic faiths. And that's when you see things like the Agus Yalmer, you know, and the Vegvasir, which are um, two Icelandic staves that are um, translated as the Helm of Awe and the Runic Compass. And there's a lot of controversy in the Norse heathen tradition over, you know, the appropriateness of using them or not. And that's just like a whole nother Jerry Springer ball of wax that I don't try to get into too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, now uh, you had mentioned briefly earlier, uh, just a little while ago about tarot and tarot is one of those things that I think more people tend to use in their divination as opposed to runes. Uh, but what would you say is the, the key difference between maybe using tarot, someone who's using tarot and someone using runes and how can perhaps runes be better uh, benefit or more beneficial to, to an individual who might be using them. Yeah. Okay. So um, 
as far as tarot, you know, and again, how I discuss sigils being a Kabbalistic tradition. Well, the um, tarot and tarot reading is more of a Roma tradition. You know, me, most people will be familiar with the term gypsies. And some people argue about the offensiveness of that term. But ethnic, the, um, the actual name for that ethnic tribal group are the Roma people. And tarot are the primary divination tool of that ethnic group. And it's tied to their spiritual both ways. And the reason so many people are more familiar with tarot is because of the fact that the Roma people were very nomadic and they would go around and they would demonstrate this to a wide group of people, you know, outside of their own cultural tradition. And so it was kind of picked up as both a novelty and people who are esoterically attuned, you know, found them as a useful medium. Now, again, we go back to how I've spoken about, you know, folkways and cultural groups, you know, well, people of Northern European descent, you know, the runes, specifically the Elder Futhark, um, are the divination tools of people of European descent. And so people of European descent, because we already have ancestral memory tied to these divination tools and the methods in which they're employed, it's going to be a lot more fluid for us to use these, you know, whereas, you know, like using the example of a car, you know, if you can, if you know how to drive a manual transmission, you know, you can get in any car and drive it. But, you know, if you've ever dealt with like a high end sports car with like a six speed manual transmission, and everything, not just anybody who can drive, you know, grandpa's old pickup truck can hop in a Maserati and not grind gears. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's a good analogy, whereas somebody who's grown up, who's immersed in that, who that's part of what they do and that's who their whole life livelihood is based around. They're going to have a lot easier time and they're going to get a lot more out of that than somebody who maybe isn't as clicked up with it. You know, and the same thing with, you know, Shinto you know, and Vedic spirituality and Native American spirituality. You know, it's like I can take and I can, you know, try to adopt the methodologies of other people. But at the end of the day, that's exactly what I'm doing is I'm adopting the methodologies of other peoples. And so I'm not going to be as fluid with the use of something that is that is alien to me and my cultural understandings. And you know, and that's why I say like with the runes, when I was exposed to them and I, you know, was sincere in my seeking to understand them, it was like an unlocking moment. It wasn't even like I was learning about them. And a lot of people, when they start to approach these esoteric tools with that standpoint, they'll figure out what does and doesn't resonate really, really quick. Now, tarot is widely promoted because it's really ambiguous, number one. And number two, a lot of people are really, really familiar with it. And so it's easy to push and to promote. And so that's why you see the prevalence of it out there, you know. And I'm not saying that tarot readers aren't sincere in their abilities or anything like that. I'm saying that if if more people were more genuine and sincere, you would see a lot more variety in divination methods then you do. But when people see a method that is very, very easy to market 
and you have an, a great base for repeat customers, then that's what you're going to see a lot of. Whereas with runic divination, just like how when I spoke to you, I wasn't tell I I was talking to you about how you can use these tools for yourself. And right. so, like for me, I don't I don't anticipate or really want a lot of repeat um, customers or you know pupils or whatever you want to consider anyone coming to me for guidance and instruction because if they need me to tell them over and over and over again on a repeat basis, that means they're not paying attention. So it's like if they, you know, honestly, somebody only needs to have like one or two really, really in-depth conversations with me. And if they want to engage in runic divination, they will have all the tools that they need out of one or two conversations because it's all internal. Because no matter how esoterically attuned anyone claims to be, nobody knows your life circumstances and the forces and the people involved in it like you do. So no one is more qualified to do divination on your life and your circumstances than you are. And so if you're seeking outside guidance from somebody who doesn't know your life, because most of these people you're going to go and talk to, if you tell them anything, it's very, very minuscule information, you know, and you may not even feel comfortable being honest with a complete stranger about your circumstances, but you can't lie to yourself. And so if you're taking and you're doing a daily rune pool, like I recommend to do and everything, you know, and you keep having the same rune pop up over and over again, you know, that's, that's a call to action. You know, that's telling you, Hey, this is what you need to focus on in your life. And you can choose to ignore it or not, or you can take action on it. Whereas like, you know, if you go to some tarot card reader, you know, a lot of times they want you to come back. And so they're going to give you a, a very sanitized message that appeals to you. Whereas you can't lie to yourself. You're going to sit there and be like, man, why do I keep pulling Issa every day? Well, because you feel like you're standing on thin ice and until you take steps to get off the off of it, then you're going to continue to feel like you're in that place in your life because you are. And that's just one example. But. That's, that's funny because you basically just answered my next question, which was, you know, what happens when you're you're getting the same rune multiple times? Because I, I, I do read tarot and a lot of times I'll pull the same card multiple times and it does make sense that duh you're not learning what you're supposed to be doing to fix this problem um so it, it is interesting that you brought that up well and i guess and and as an addendum to that you know there are times too when the runes act as a source of affirmation and so, you know, there's also that potentiality that if you're just steadily on the right track and you're just doing everything right, you know, and you don't need to make any changes, you're going to get a, a pull that, you know, is uh, affirming of that. You know, for example, the rune Wunyo, the, that's the rune of contentment The you know, if it could be like this, it'll be all right. You know, and if everything is going good and you don't want to rock the boat, you know, and you pull Wunyo for three days in a row and it's just, you know, rainbows and sunshines. Well, that's what that's all about, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's, you know, and, and that's the thing, again, that underscores the point of how, you know, nobody knows your circumstances like you do. So, you know, what three 
three of the same rune pool in a row could mean for one person, it could mean something drastically, vastly different for the next man. Okay. So, I mean, if the way you say that, how it could be drastically different for the next person, then runes, much like tarot or any other type of divination, is really open to interpretation? Or is there a, a specific guideline that everyone should be following? Well, you know, like in my book, that's one of the things that I discuss. You know, one of the what the constants are, are the esoteric values. Now, the form that esoteric value manifests in your life, that's what's, you know, I guess you could say open to interpretation. You know, a great example would be the rune Feiyu. That's the very first rune in the Futhark. It corresponds phonetically with the letter F in our alphabet, but it represents abundance. Now, a lot of um, a lot of practitioners out there will tell you that it represents gold or portable wealth or cattle because they took a literalist translation instead of stopping and thinking and applying an ounce of discernment into what they're looking at. Because when these runes were in use in primacy, the concept of gold and portable wealth as a as a debt medium simply did not exist. There weren't stores. People weren't going out and buying things. So, you know, like I said, that's that's an example of a contemporary concept being shoehorned into this esoteric wisdom. You know, it re represents abundance. It, it That could be anything. You could have more time on your hands than you know what to do with. You could have access to material resources. You could have a wide skill um, skill set to apply in a variety of different circumstances that Jack of all trades got. You know, you could have um, a really rock solid support network to where no matter what you need, you got somebody you could call on to help you on that. Any and all of that could be your failure. It doesn't necessarily mean zeros in a bank account. And of course, you know, in an agrarian society, you know, an abundance of livestock represents power and wealth, you know? And so that's the whole, that's why people were saying, oh, well, it represents cattle. No, it represents an abundance of cattle. And like I said, people, miss the forest for the trees on that and and when all of these other books and all these other explanations of what these esoteric symbols means when you start building on a false foundation everything else that you stack upon that foundation is going to be just that much off and that's one of the things that compelled me to write my book was trying to clear up these misconceptions and strip away this modernist lens that we're trying to filter everything through you know, it's like Jackson Crawford in a lot of his translations and his works. And I'm and I will be the first to say that he is very, very well versed as a translator and a linguist. But when he tries to turn around and say, oh, well, we can't use this word now because it's going to hurt somebody's feelings. And then you completely change the meaning of what you're translating just because you want to send you, you're trying to censor it for a, for a potentially sensitive audience then, you know, like you're messing up what you, what you're claiming to try to preserve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's, like I said, and that's what drove me in a large sense to put my words out. All right, folks, unfortunately we did lose Steven Spears, but uh, definitely make sure you're checking out his website, um, which is stevenspears.com. I'm sure that's where you can find the book um, and pretty much everywhere you can find books, Amazon, and all that good stuff. Um, we are at that point, so we're going to take a quick break. 
you will hear a quick commercial and we will be right back with Paratruth Radio. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. We just got off the line with Steven Spears, and I gotta tell you, uh, Ruins is one of those things I really know nothing about, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> today's conversation uh, was very uh, educational, mm, for yeah. sure. Uh, now, I have, you know, I feel like Ruins, from what I've seen over the last few weeks, like just with YouTube and uh, various things I looked online, runes are slowly becoming a little more popular uh, they are, than yeah. what they used to be. Uh, it's especially very prominent in uh, the Wiccan world mm-hmm. or those who just practice witchcraft. Maybe you don't identify as a Wiccan, but you know, those right. who do practice witchcraft runes are very prominent there. Uh, and they, and you know, some of the, some, some people I see actually use both the tarot and the runes uh, together uh, to, for their readings, right? You know, which, which is, interesting because especially if you end up with like a contradictive reading uh but you know it's really interesting and i know the more i talk to people about runes the more i feel like uh you know it's kind of a thing i want to get into and learn a little bit more of it especially with such a deep history because it's pretty much an ancient uh uh sample of divination yeah well i'll show you the the rune that i got from him um at at the conference that i saw him at Mm -hmm. um Something that I we we ended up not getting a chance to ask him or talk to him about is um, something that is kind of used is um, 
runes, uh, rune reading and reading. Um, I don't, I don't know what the exact term is, but reading bones. Uh, oh of, yeah, mm-hmm. of animals and stuff. Uh, are kind of used hand in hand a lot of times too. Okay. Um, and so it was interesting to to meet him in person because. He's like, stick your hand in my bag and pick out a room <laughs> for whatever the the cost was, um, and uh, you you know he he gave a really good description of what the rune was, and it actually kind of unfortunately I, I didn't have it available when we're before we were recording, um, but it, it really um, hit home, kind of like a, a lot of tarot readings that I do for myself or. Um, get a lot of times um will hit home at the time that i'm getting it done Mm -hmm. um the difference is from what i'm kind of gathering from steven is um runes are a little bit different where like it it's gonna hit home right at that point where tarot it could be months or years down the road before you see the meaning behind it okay so ter- so so ruins is something that's um in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it, anything that he said that kind of I, I know you said it was educational, but anything that hit home for you um that makes you want to research it, it more. Uh I mean nothing in particular, I don't think. I think it's just you know, the the discussion as a whole that really sparked some interest uh you know the fact that they are certainly different from tarot is you know it is important to me you know i have well now i have two tarot decks well <laughs> one and a half technically because my first deck only comes with <laughs> the, the first the major uh, account yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but you know it, it's I think it'd be one of those things that would be kind of cool to, to do your tarot readings and then have the runes next to it mm. uh, to kind of see, you know, kind of what is your the future, I guess, with the tarot or what might be, and then see how that corresponds with the runes, like right now. In the Try moment. and get a confirmation. Type yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, or or vice versa. If you do the runes and then you use the tarot, right. you know, uh, I don't know if it's possible, but if you did like, you know, you do like a three card spread. If you did like a two card plus a rune, yeah, I don't know, yeah. Well, something we again we didn't really get to to ask him um, was that, um, and I haven't really researched this or not, but if um, runes are kind of incorporated into people's sigils mm. or sigils, however you pronounce it, um, because a, a sigil is kind of your own meaning behind it, unless you're using one that somebody's already created. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's sigils that that have always existed, or not always, but you know, existed right for, for a long time, a very long time. Uh, and you know, if several, I guess at this point, a couple of months ago, uh, you and I were talking about, I guess, custom sigils. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and how I learned to to make my own, which I still, you know, it's like I made a couple uh, that I thought were kind of prominent, but there's one that stood out the most, and that's the one that's still on my stand right now on my bookshelf at home. Uh, and yeah, it, it's weird, you know, because the sigil is something that you put energy into, 
Whereas, right. from what I'm gathering, the runes already have a sense of energy. Right, because uh, it has a meaning behind yeah, it. Yeah, it already has a meaning associated with it. Because, you know, I can sit here and I can doodle any type of symbol, and then it's just a doodle until you <laughs> breathe life into it, if you will. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't... Well, and from my understanding, too, sigils are kind of more... Uh, and he said they kind of go hand in hand, but sigils are kind of used more for a protective purpose where runes are more of an oracle type thing where you're doing a reading on them um, or are sigils kind of like that sigils i mean sigils aren't usually used uh for readings but they are used in like, magic okay. yeah know. uh uh spell so work yeah yeah spell work and things like that you know you you, you can create a sigil for um for money for for good luck and finances or something like that which which doesn't mean like you know you you make a ruin and suddenly you have a million dollars in your pocket that's a sigil you mean oh that's sorry yes yes a sigil <laughs> not a rune uh but you know it's something that can help you maybe that day or that week uh gain financial um i guess financial leverage from what you would normally do or just to have a good week you know uh if one week I make, you know, I'm freelance. So if one week I make $400 and then I drop a sigil for, you know, good money to, to make a good financial, financial decision, stuff like that. Uh, maybe the following week I make $600. Does right. that mean that is a sigil? Obviously we don't know, but coincidence or not, that's pretty much right. what these sigils are, are, are designed for. And of course I can go, you know, sigils are made for, for love work and, uh, you know, obviously there's dark purposes behind it too for those who are into that, which, right. uh, you know, but yeah, it's, it's a little different. Well, and we've talked about this multiple times, but, um, how can you really tell if it's the spell work that's working or it's just a random coincidence that all of this is falling into place after and maybe that's the catch 22 is you really don't know if it was going to happen to begin with, but yeah, you know, I I think it's one of those things where the only way to know for sure is to kind of do the scientific method, you know, and test right. it and retest it. And if you see that something like the sigils are helping you on a weekly or biweekly basis, then maybe it's the sigil. Right, especially if you stop and then all of a sudden it doesn't everything work. else, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. All right, well, folks, that is pretty much all we've got on runes this week. It is a little bit shorter episode, but um, it was a very informative one. Unfortunately, Stephen had to pop off because of technical issues, so um, definitely check out his website and his book. It was very interesting to meet him in person and actually just do an. Uh, uh, interview with him as well. Um, we got a lot of great stuff coming up for you guys. A uh, couple more rabbit hole, uh, uh, down the rabbit hole episodes. Uh, we've got a series that we are thinking of doing called uh, Over the Campfire. And uh, we've got some paramyxology stuff coming up. So make sure you're tuning in to everywhere you can find Paratruth Radio, including our YouTube channel where you'll find the paramyxologies or our website. It'll It feeds into there as well which is paratruth.com. Um, any other... Uh, oh, uh, we've got investigations coming up soon. We do. Um, so this coming, or this past, if you're listening to this episode 
uh, Friday and Saturday, we've done two investigations and we're going to be doing some in-depth work on looking over the evidence. And I believe both of our clients are willing and wanting to come on to the show to talk about the investigations and the history behind why they wanted us to do the investigations. So um, until next week, folks, where you'll find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.